Welcome to Pod Songs, where we interview inspirational people in service to others as inspiration for a new song. week I'm expecting the birth of my first child so I thought I'd take a little pause and give you one from the archives. Here is an interview with the writer Scott Carney. Okay. And you're you're in where are you in Australia? No England Italy. You're you're in Italy? Yeah. Oh my lord. Yeah. Your accent is not Italian I've noticed. Very good you Americans. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm, I'm English. Yes. That's why I have such a wonderful, clear accent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Excellent. You said all the water. So I was like, well, what has the most water between me- here and there? And I was like, well, the Pacific's way bigger than the Atlantic. So. Mm, okay. All right. Well, it's a lot of water. Apparently we're going by a satellite, but let's not get into. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. All right. Shoot. Let's go. Okay. Let's go. Hello, Scott. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. I hear you sing. Oh, well, yes, I, I tried. I do my best. Yes. <laughs> but uh, well, I've heard a lot about you and um, you have a very so I'm I've searched high and low across this whole planet of ours to find the most inspiring people. And your, oh, your no. who, name. Who, yeah. who did you find? <laughs> <laughs> well, you came up way because um, you have a great story to tell about um your adventures um yeah and maybe you just kick it off you launch into your story because these books you've written are um are wonderful and i I think it's best coming from you that is too general for me i've done so much weird stuff and i might just be talking to you about like clinical trials that i was in when i was a kid so (laughs) (laughs) well let's let's narrow it down then because i have to write a song and i think Okay. And I also want it to be of use to you. So I think your The Wedge, your recent book where you expanded on your, because you, you, you met Wim Hof when he, was, um, when he was just starting out. You wrote an article for Playboy magazine about you tried to debunk him, but turns out that you actually became a big disciple. You've been dipping in ice water ever since. You climbed Kilimanjaro. Um, yeah, you're a convert and you've, you've transformed your nervous system. And now this new book is about this, right. how you, the way. Yeah, so, so yeah, I met Wim back in 2011. And uh, at that point, he was basically a nobody. Like he, he had, uh, you know, when he was mentioned in the media, it was like as a circus act. Uh, you know, a guy who climbed Everest in his shorts and, and, you know, a man who dumps himself his ice. Isn't that weird? Like that's sort of like where he was in the world at that hmm. point. And he was just starting to teach uh, his method, which at that point was sort of different than it is now, uh, where he said he could, you know, make you immune to the cold and, and you know, cure every illness under the sun. And, you know, he sounded sort of crazy. And, uh, and I had just written this book called The Enlightenment Trap about um, how meditation can kill you, how that search for spiritual insight can be deluding uh, in some people. And, you know, it ends fatally for a certain number of folks. And I, so I'd, I'd been down that rabbit hole for a while. In fact, 
I'd seen friends of mine die on their spiritual journey. So I was very skeptical when Wim uh, was advertising these ideas that looked a lot like the miracles that people suggest can occur out of uh, the Eastern traditions, out of the, you know, the sort of called like enlightened Buddhist masters who can sit on the Himalayan peaks in no clothing and sort of like use their body temperature to, to save themselves. And uh, I figured Wim was going to get people killed. So I went out there to debunk him. Um, okay. It turns out, long story short, I tried his method and I totally failed at that because his method worked. Uh, you know, within a, a week, I was sitting on these banks of the snowy um, Polish rivers in the middle of the winter, and I was melting snow around me with my body heat. I was like, this is crazy. Um, and I guess I'm gonna, eventually going to have to go write a book about this. <laughs> and, oh, my God. And, and I, you know, I followed Wim around and, and, and for a while I climbed up some mountains in my bathing suits and, you know, almost no clothing. And the, the question that was in my mind was this magic from heaven or prana or some sort of enlightened technique that he has, is this sort of supernatural or are there evolutionary reasons behind it? And as someone who's pretty darn grounded in science, uh, I, I went looking for the sort of the biological explanations of this. And that led me down this long path with what doesn't kill us, where I was looking around all of the various people in the world who use temperature changes to change their body. And, uh, you know, and that, and that ended up in this book, What Doesn't Kill Us. And the idea here is that if you put yourself under stress, uh, and in Wim Hof's case, that's cold stress and also sort of hypoxia, which means um, not much oxygen in your bloodstream. He does that by hyperventilating. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, hypoxia, yeah, yeah, that scientific explanation is a little off, but basically he blows off all your CO2, you, you feel weird, then you hold your breath for a long period of time, then you get hypoxic. Um, and the, what I sort of discovered is that that if you think about where our, we came from evolutionarily, you know, our, our species is about 300,000 years old. You know, you could breed with, a, with a, a, one of our ancestors 300,000 years ago. We're, we're pretty darn similar. And in all of that time, and in, in fact, all of the time going back to the origins of life on this planet, we've had to deal with the environment, which means harsh environments, which means constant ups and downs in temperature and stress levels from predation, uh, you know, and basically everything that can kill you, we had to deal with that. And our bodies became very fine-tuned with dealing with stress. However, in the modern world, um, we've gotten so good with our technology, humans have gotten so good with technology that we've insulated ourselves from physical stress. Uh, so what looks like it's superhuman when you look at Wim Hof and like him sitting on an iceberg, like that's crazy. Why would he do that? You know, I could never do that. We all think, but honestly, like 200 years ago, it would have been no problem. You know, before central heating, uh, it would have been no problem just because we've had, we had to use our bodies to encounter the environment versus the intelligent stuff um, that that we've been able to create, and uh, and so that 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 journey um, you know led me to understand Wim in a very in intense way, where I dunked myself in ice water, I did all these crazy feats, and at the end of that journey, I wanted to I I'd sort of been doing the Wim Hof method for almost ten years at that point, and my question was well. What next? Like, you know, if, if the idea of, you know, Wim is like cold stress and hyperventilation, well, there, there are 
so many other stresses out there that must train our autonomic nervous system, the sort of the, the parts of our unconscious biology to do things. And, and that's where this book, The Wedge, comes out. Uh, and and the, the concept of the wedge, because that's going to be your next question, what is the wedge, is um, it's that space between uh, stimulus and response. Viktor Frankl has some quotes about this. I'm not, you know, I didn't originate the idea that, that, that stress comes in from the outside world. And then you have a choice, right? That, you know, you feel something. And then there's this choice in you is, is like, um, am I going to run away from that stress? Am I going to relax? Am I going to ramp up and fight? Uh, and in in the ice water, you know, with Wim, this is where I first learned it. You know, you jump in the ice water and Wim says, relax. But mm -hmm. all your body wants to do is scream and say, no, this is horrible. This is the worst thing in the world. I'm going to die. But, you know, Wim's like, no, you're not going to die. And Honestly, you're not going to die. And then when you will yourself to relax, that is what the wedge is. It's like you're putting your intentions, your consciousness to override, to drive a wedge in between that stimulus and that automatic response. And, and we can drive, you know, it, it doesn't only exist in the ice water. It, it exists like literally in anything you can sense in the world. Like anytime a sensation triggers, that is always a choice between one thing and another thing. The only reason we evolved to be conscious in the first place, like here's the, the big question underneath the wedge is why are we conscious? Mm -hmm. uh, it, and conscious is a choice. It's like information comes in and it's because your body can't automatically decide what to do with that information. It, it says, okay, big brain, you tell me what to do. I have an automatic idea of what I should do, but you're smarter than me, you decide. And by working on the wedge, which means putting yourself in various stressful situations, whether sensory, whether emotional, whether psychedelic, I mean, there's a whole broad range. Mm -hmm. uh, it's developing that ability to choose, to listen to your body, what it wants to do, and choose whether or not you want to do that. And you get better and better and better at it the more you do this stuff. So in the wedge, you, you test theory out in various situations. I'm sorry, you broke in, up for a second. In the, in the wedge, you go through these different scenarios. You, you, um, you, you, do, you throw kettlebells. You, um, is it ayahuasca you take as well? Or you go into some plant medicine? Sure. So, so in the wedge, I look at 10 different things. Uh, but there, you know, it's not to say that is the limit of, of you know, wedges you can try, but I looked at heat, I looked at fear, I looked at sensory deprivation, taste, uh, and ultimately we, I ended doing um, some psychedelics, which are, you know, they, which give you very strong sensations and you sort of have a choice of what you're going to do with it, right? You're, are you going to go crazy because psychedelics are basically making you crazy or are you going to try to sort of bring something out of it and stay sane despite the stress that that is giving your body? So now you're, you never get stressed, you're... Mm, no, I do. Uh, I do get stressed. I, mean, I think everyone gets stressed, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. the nature of humanity is that we, there's a, a, a challenge mm -hmm. and then you stress out about it, right? Yeah. And, and stress, you know, it's interesting. We use the word stress, you are stressed out mm -hmm. to, to sort of say a negative thing. Right. right. It, it's a negative thing. And then there's an emotional response. It's like, it's like frustration. That's what stress sort of means in the colloquial way we talk mm -hmm. about it. When I say the word stress, 
I mean, I sometimes use it that way because I'm lazy. But when I try to use the word stress, it, it, it's really something coming in from the outside. So there's negative stress, but there's also positive stress, right? You know, um, you know, you're 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 in an awesome conversation with a good friend of yours, and like things feel happy. That is still a stress mm. because it's coming in from the outside. And I could choose to respond negatively to that and just say you're an asshole, right, or whatever. And and that's still a choice. It's not necessarily the right choice, but it is a, it is a choice we have. So so I see stress as just the stuff that's coming. I see it as a neutral term. However, we use it the way colloquially we do. We use it as like sort of a frustration thing. Um, as sort of anxiety. And in general, the way I see that, the way I describe that sort of stress is when you have something coming in from the outside world and you do not have a physical response because we have these two pathways in our body that are the way our nervous system responds. Okay. Maybe you've heard these terms, sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic right. means fight or flight um, and parasympathetic is rest and digest. And, and your body can only has these two switches. Like you deal with everything in, in, in either a parasympathetic or a um, sympathetic way. And, um, you know, usually it's not full on. It's not like everything is fighting a tiger uh, mm -hmm. with your bare hands. But, but it's, like, it's, it's like varying levels of that signal. Now, oftentimes, because we, you know, remember we're from the plains of Africa and, and you know, we were fighting tigers back in the day, and where our challenges were physical. Tiger coming at you, you dump adrenaline for energy, you dump cortisol for pain reduction, you jump a dump bunch of other things too. And then that gives you the power to get through the fight as best you can or run as best you can. Hmm. You do not want to be in the rest and digest state when a, a tiger is about to eat you because you don't want it to go into the rest or digest state in like 15 minutes, right? You want, to, you want to be able to fight it. Now, in the modern world, what happens is I'm sitting in front of my computer and I get an email that's annoying, right? A bad email, right? I don't know what it is, but you know, something bad happens. Let's say it's a fight with your girlfriend or a tax bill, whatever. And, and then your archaic body only has two responses. It can be rest and digest or it can be fight or flight. And so it dumps all the adrenaline because that tax bill sucks. And it's ready to fight it with its fists and its teeth. Um, the problem is, is that, is that while the challenges in the olden days made sense, you wanted to go fight that tiger, I can't fight my tax bill. So I, instead I dump all that adrenaline, all that cortisol in my body, and I start to feel stressed out in the way we typically talk about it, which means you don't have a physical outlet for all that energy and pain reduction. And that feels horrible. Mm -hmm. That feels, that is what we, we, we say. That's really what we mean when we say colloquially, uh, I feel stressed out. Um, it's a, this sensation of anxiety without an outlet. Um, but in your, in your, you also mentioned about like, for example, with the cold, you say there's this slow cold and fast cold. Is that what you said? Sure. Yeah. So, right, so, so if you, if you have the glow in the house and it's cold all the time in the winter, you really have to have presence of mind to stay warm. But jumping in an ice bath, mm -hmm. uh, Tim, you can really talk to yourself. So isn't the stress right. more in our life, the more of the slow stress than these, the tigers or the, the tax bills? Oh, that's, that's a good way to think about it. Uh, yeah, so in the ice bath, you know what the issue is immediately. I am going to fight this right now. And the ice bath is a short period of time. Like not many people take more than 10 minute long ice baths. You can, of course, but not many people do. And, 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 and it's, a, it's a quick thing and when you tell yourself to relax. But if you have, and, and at, you know, let's say the water's 
35 degrees or whatever. It's a very, very loud signal. But if the ambient air temperature is 50 degrees, that actually doesn't feel as cold as 50 degree water. 50 degree water feels colder because of the way that water wicks um, heat away from your skin. But it's like a 50 degrees in your house. And when I'm talking Fahrenheit and Celsius, you'll have to do the conversion yourself. I don't. It's chilly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's chilly. And uh, you know, it, by contrast, in this in the United States, the average temperature inside Americans' households is around 70 between 74 and 77. That's where most people keep their temperature. So this is quite a bit lower than that. Um, but it's not deadly by any means. It's like you could just walk around it and be fine. But if you stay in that, that, that sort of like mildly cold environment for a long period of time, it is uh, actually more difficult. I actually find slow cold more annoying than fast cold. Because with fast cold, I'm like, I know I'm gonna get in it and then when I get out, I'll be fine. But if I keep my thermostat low, and I do keep it low in my house, I keep it in the, uh, usually the 60s, low 60s in my house um, in the winter. And right now it's whatever it is outside. Um, it, it, yeah, you have to sort of like bring your mind into presence. You have to yeah. sort of like 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 bring it up in order to, to stay warm. And usually you can't do that all day and do something else, right? Because when you're in the ice bath, you're like, I'm in the ice bath and I'm not going to be doing my taxes. Right? Yeah, you're in the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas in slow cold, it's like, you, it's, it's really hard to be present against something that's that slow all the time because then you're not doing anything else. Mm. Okay, so you're more focused on these peaks, these these intense moments of like uh, mm -hmm. you, you went into a shark, virtual shark tank, and uh, yeah, these extreme mm -hmm. situations. So, okay, so I'm just trying to see how I can apply this in my life. How can I? How? What are the conclusions from from the wedge? Well, the idea is that you know, no one cares if you're if you can stay in the ice bath for a long period of time, like whatever, like you don't do ice baths to become a better ice bather. That's irrelevant to anything, right? Yeah. Maybe bragging, but that's even just ego and, and dumb. Do you right? have an you ice bath in your garden? In your backyard? I do not. No, oh, no. no, I just, I live in Colorado. I've got pretty decent cold water out of the shower. Okay. Uh, and I do heat training in the summer. I, I'm a big believer that we have seasonal changes. Like it's not just these, these rapid, um, things right but 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 in the in the summer you should do heat training i think in the winter you should do cold training oh that's, that's very interesting yeah that's a good way really good allowed to, yeah. <laughs> it's also easier <laughs> right <laughs> cheaper yeah yeah <laughs> um i find ice baths i love them i love doing them because it's like this challenge but i really only do them when a friend invites me over and they okay. have done the ice bath because you have to buy the ice it's all that big pain in the butt right right do. right um, but luckily, I have a lot of friends who do that. So, you know, sometimes you're the only person in the community and then you have to be the guy. Uh, luckily, I don't have to be the guy here in Denver. Um, uh, sorry, the question was... So, uh, so the conclusions of the wedge, like mm, to, for, the, for the average right. man who's, you know, not... So, you know, what can we learn? So one of the very, very, the base understandings that we haven't talked about here is that every sensation is an emotion. Like Wim Hof says feeling is understanding. And, um, and what, you know, when you're getting that ice bath, not only are you clenching and there's that physical thing you're fighting against, but there's also this emotion that comes up. You know, the first time I jumped in an ice bath, I cried, like there's tears coming down my eyes and I brought up some sort of like ancient problem in my like, you know, childhood or something. Really? Um, and, it did. And, and I think with a lot of people, there's emotions that come in. And, and, you know, the basic one is fight or flight. Like, oh my God, I'm going to die, right? You're facing yeah, death. Yeah. And there's emotions with that. And every sensation you ever have is, is bonded with an emotion at some very basic 
human level in your body. And, and the, the actual mechanisms, you, you can read my book, it's called Neural Symbols. But basically anytime you feel anything, the only time you sense anything in the world, your brain is bonding your current emotional state with a sensation. And this, this becomes actually like, like the bits and bytes of human consciousness. If you think of that consciousness as like a software computer program, um, the only way we understand anything in the world from the very first moment that we're conscious is, is mixing sensations with emotions and then sort of building that up. And when you get to hundreds and thousands of these um, neural symbols, you start to get sort of complex thought. Uh, that, that's sort of like the underpinnings of everything. So the idea with the wedge is that if we are able to choose our emotional responses to, to, to stressful situations, especially things that have negative implications for us, we become, uh, we're able to influence how we feel things in the future. You become more emotionally resilient. You become more able to take on challenges, more able to take on risks. And, and just in general, you, you expand the region in which you can feel comfortable, where you, which you can operate. Yeah, I've been on uh, something you said there about the, the sensations affecting the mind. I've been on the meditation retreats and in the, with the Buddha, the Vipassana technique, they say, uh, you, you know, you sit there for a long time, you do the slow, slow thing and, mm -hmm. you, and you feel that you try to feel the sensations first and then what, mm -hmm. what emotions come out of that. And you, so it, it's kind of what you're doing, but in a long, in, sure. you know, but it gets very intense, you know, at the end of every hour is, you know, you're in agony. Mm -hmm. Well, the, it's interesting. It, it's fascinating because if you look in the Indic traditions, right, there's these two, um, I'm just going to use Tibetan Buddhism because I'm very familiar with Tibetan Buddhism because I've written books about it. Um, there's this idea of the sutra, in Tibetan, in Buddhism in general, which is the open teachings of the Buddha, which is generally with the techniques associated with it are quieting your mind and becoming kind to everyone, be, 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 be good, right? And also quiet yourself so you can sense and feel the world around you. Right. Now, the, 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 and that's the open teachings of the Buddha. And that's, and that's honestly my favorite part of Buddhism. But then there's this other side of Buddhism, which is Tantra, which is you've probably heard the word and you heard about Sting having sex with people, right? This is the, it's the secret teachings. Um, and the, the, and Tantra is the, is, is actually sort of where, where the Wim Hof method emerges from, which is where you put yourself in very intense situations, like the, the, like very intense anger, very intense lust, very intense whatever it is. And then you learn to control yourself in that situation. And that's generally the difference between Tantra and Sutra, um, even though that's not the way they generally describe it within the tradition, but that's what I've seen out there. And what, what the Buddha says is that um, the sutras are for everyone and everyone should do the sutras because you can calm yourself and pay attention to the sensations and that is the gateway to enlightenment. Um, but he says the faster way is through Tantra, but it's way more dangerous. That's that, that's the way it's sort of described in the tradition. And honestly, it is way more dangerous. I've seen I've seen this is where people go crazy is in Tantra, right? Tantra where you try to find your your most angry, ennui, death focused, lustful, negative self, and then turn those emotions into positive emotions. But not everyone's ready for that, nor should okay. they. I've heard different definitions because where I've studied it, um, Tantra means many techniques all in one and then sure. and that kind of techniques more sounds like um uh, agni yoga which is where you 
you you um you the fire yoga so you really you really you you confront it in a strong way sure. but but you about sure. this, i mean the real definition of Tantra is secret, right? It's the secret traditions and there are a variety of techniques in okay. it. Right. Um, but the general theme in Tantric techniques is this sort of encounter with, with intense sensation, right? It's intense versus, it's, it's sympathetic versus parasympathetic. So yeah, I am making a generalization for sure. Okay. So that's going back to it. So the sutras or the Tantra is also the, the, the quick, the fast or the slow, the... Mm-hmm. This, Mm-hmm. Yeah, this power and sympathetic, everything is, uh, you, you, you've really, these polar opposites, this positive and new, mm-hmm. negative, uh, neutral. Right. Okay, very interesting. Because you, you also wrote a book called The Enlightenment Trap about um, uh, some people that went um, quite wrong with uh, mm-hmm. trying to achieve enlightenment. Um, um, what, what I also wanted to ask you about was, um, because from what I've read about you, you've also... I've heard you in other interviews talk about the Sandman and things like that and um, how I find it, I've, I wanted to talk to you about um, death because Wim Hof, um, he, uh, I read from your article that you wrote that he got very into, um, or he, he took his practices out into the world after his wife's death. Um, mm-hmm. And you also had a friend die in front of you. And right. you, but you're you're um you're not uh, you're not you're you still believe in the one life is that way to put it oh no i'm agnostic i i don't really know what's going to happen after i die uh i i think that uh no matter what tradition you come from right no matter uh what happens after death because honestly I mean, we, people have said they've come back from death, but you know, you can take those all with a grain of salt. They might be bang accurate, but I don't, I can't know. And you can know. Um, and my feeling is that no matter what judgment might come, whether it's reincarnation or God with a big beard, you know, saying something or, or, uh, uh, or whatever happens in Judaism and Islam, like, like it's no matter what that, end result is after you cross death's threshold the li- the likelihood is that how you live your life right now is important and sure. we should do everything we can to live the best possible life we can with the tools that we have and then let that stuff take care of itself afterwards um you know uh, you know i really i just don't know like i i I've, uh, there's so much out there so many different opinions and they're really just opinions um, I like to think there is something. Mm-hmm. I like to think that there is um, that whatever energy makes up consciousness does not dissipate. Like there's this law in physics is that energy cannot be created or destroyed. And I think that applies to consciousness too. Now, I don't know what form it takes, uh, but I think that something goes on. There's something very unique about the ability to think and, and sense and, and understand the world. And I think that that, that that something is a substrate in the universe in one way or another. Because hmm. the reason I'm asking is because I try to string my guests together. So my, the, the, the guest that I had last week, she was a, 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 a researcher into life after death. And she, she, hmm. worked, for this, um, she worked for the near-death experience um, research board. And she was on the, she was on the switchboard getting the, getting the calls for, for many years. Oh, wow. but people okay. would tell, tell her about their near-death experiences and she would write them down and, you know, get these correlations between, you know, the, the, how many, you saw the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. You saw the light and then what else did happen? And so, mm-hmm. you know, she, she, um, because you're an investigative journalist and you, 
when you're having a story, you you look for eyewitnesses. Yeah, I mean you you base sure. you base your mm -hmm. your um your conclusions on how you know how many people have seen this. So so you know she collected you know all these stories and then there was you know all these correlations between it and um you know she had people you know go out of their body and then they go out of the hospital and float around the building and then come back and then you know some they would tell them there's a, there's a blue shoe on the windowsill go and get there's a blue shoe i swear go and get it and then you know so mm -hmm. there was and th many many stories like this of you know that correlate and um, also the um the university of virginia has, has done many many research into into um after death uh you know life before life and uh, many research sure. things so i just yeah um, i find that i find that research fascinating i mean it's still just accounts right um you know are these just the random electrical firings of a dying brain and there's a whole type of explanation that goes that way is this the soul leaving your body there's a whole a bunch of explanations that go that way um uh, you know, there's also all these stories of people who've been reincarnated and remember their past lives yeah, that's, in various yeah, yeah, yeah. ways. You know, there's lots of this stuff. I still don't think there's a smoking gun in any of it. And in fact, you know, part of me doesn't want it. I think that the interesting thing about being alive is not knowing that answer, right? Is, is that if we, if we did find out, oh, actually, there is life after death and here's what it is. And we, we catalog it as, and then here, it, it uh, looks like the Islam was right. Okay, everyone, you know, that sounds boring to me, right? That sounds like really like, why? Okay, why, why are we doing that? Um, I'd much rather have uh, the, the ability to, to go out and discover. And, and, you know, everything I've read about NDEs, and I've looked into them a little bit, right? I've done a little bit of research into this, um, not at the level of writing a whole book about it, but, you know, I've, 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 I've toured the NDE world. And, and, yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's interesting stuff. There's cool anecdotes, but I don't think it rises up to the level of being like, well, this is what happens. This is the only explanation. Because, mm -hmm. you know, there's other, there's that other famous study about an NDEs where they went into an ER where a lot of people die and, and somebody was interested in NDEs. So they placed a, I think it was a stuffed animal on top of a closet, right? And they have all these explanations of people, I'm leaving my body, I'm looking down at my body. And then they had like a stuffed animal that you couldn't see from the gurney. But it was like above and no one ever reported seeing the stuffed animal i mean you know there's all sorts of stuff out there okay. um and uh and 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 great like i don't know i don't think i don't think anything's answered because you said yeah you're at this crossroads and you you know you you definitely took the the fork about the biological um mm -hmm. but so you know so there's two hypotheses: one something after death and the other one nothing you get this one life however long it is, it doesn't matter. And then you're gone. And then, so what is the, there must be some evidence for that. Well, there's other explanations too. There's life after death, there's life before death, but maybe there's no death. Maybe there's no life, right? What if, what if what we experience is conscious? What if, what if like Alan Watts says, you are the universe experiencing itself. You know, you look at, look at like, uh, you go into physics and time is subjective, right? It's not subjective at the human level. It's, it's subjective at the physical level, having to do with the speed that you're moving, right? And at one point, all of the universe, as far as we know, was all compacted into one little infinitesimally small thing. All of the mass of the universe was like smaller than a period. 
Yeah, uh, that's and, crazy. And <laughs> that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And, then, and then it all exploded. So let's say consciousness mm-hmm. is a force, right? Yeah. Let's say consciousness is like gravity in some way. And, you know, this, I like to think about it this way. And, and, that, and that consciousness naturally emerges as a, as a property, as, a, as a, um, some sort of symbiosis with matter. And, and we are just a manifestation of that. And so what we think of us ourselves, like I think of myself as Scott, you think of yourself as Jack, mm-hmm. right? But are we? Like, are we really that? Like, are, like uh, you know, who am I without all of the interactions I've had with other people throughout my yeah. life, without all of the stressful and non-stressful experiences, who would I be? I have to, like my consciousness emerges because of interactions with things. I don't exist in a bubble. And, and now I'm talking to you, I'm one sort of person. I'm talking with my wife. I'm another sort of person. I talk with my mother. I'm another sort of person. So there's no like one me. I think that the self is an illusion. I don't think I exist. I don't think you exist. I think reality exists, but I think I have a very egocentric (laughs) idea of myself. I think you have a very egocentric idea of yourself, but the reality of it is you have to look at like, the, the, the city you live in, if you look at the, at the, at the country you live in, if you look at the whole planet operating as one super organism and we are just part of that. The way Alan, Alan Watts says, says it is, who would you be without the sun, right? Like, like, you know, you think the sun's there and it's heating and it gives you a sunburn and it grows some food and stuff, but like without it, like you are the sun. If the sun wasn't giving energy and yeah. didn't, didn't like put energy on earth for billions of years, you would never be here so you really have to think about yourself at a cosmic scale and then you can just where would the sun be without you know lots of supernova where would the supernovas be without the initiate whatever the initiating incident is and what 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 happened before the initiating incident right yeah. so these are all where i am i you know i don't have an answer i just sort of throw shit at the wall and i'm like you know i look into the space i'm like man it's all big right <laughs> <laughs> no no i mean we're all solidified sunlight yeah if you look at all the atoms of our body they're all you know, we're carbon life forms. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're all stardust, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, and you, before you were in Chennai, you were a war correspondent before then. Um, and you live, you live. Yeah. I, I've done a bit of war corresponding, but I was more of a foreign correspondent. My first book was about organ trafficking where I tracked, um, the, the world's buying and selling of human body parts, um, mm-hmm. mostly out of Chennai, which is in sort of the Southern India on the right-hand side. Uh, um, but I've also done stuff in sort of communist insurgencies in Central India. I've been held up by 13-year-olds with AK-47s and bows and arrows. Like I've done, I had that whole side of my early career where I was doing pretty dangerous stuff on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Just to get some context for your for your journey, you know, because I need to needs to be a good song so uh. okay good, nice <laughs> uh, i mean you know it, it you know it, you know it, it, in a way it all originates when i was uh, in college and you know you get this opportunity to go for a year abroad in america right we have their junior year and you know if you're lucky enough you get to go abroad and most people in america go to like germany or scotland you know and to drink their way through college mm-hmm. for some reason i decided not to do that and i went to um india for a year and i was like wow look at this crazy place and like i wasn't interested in like the spirituality of india i was interested in the absolute urban chaos and that somehow it all hung together mm-hmm. and it was just very culturally different 
different. And so I kept on wanting to, you know, and any of the other thing is like, it's stressful. Yeah, like yeah, everything yeah. you do, just crossing the street is like, feels like a major, like, oh yeah, I did something hard. Right. <laughs> and so I really liked that. Like this was very early wedge stuff for me. I like, I liked the challenge of yeah, just being of crossing there. the road, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to cross and, the road. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then everything else you do. And so I kept on wanting to go back. And so I, I dipped, dipped into anthropology for a while. I was, a, okay. you know, I, I, after, after a year in India, I graduated college and then I went back and I ended up um, spending three more years, sorry, no, two more years there. And I, I got a, you know, I started doing a PhD because I figured the way to keep going back to India and doing weird stuff is to be an academic, right? That's academics have all the fun. Um, so I did all of the coursework for a PhD. I almost got my, I got at the dissertation. And then I was like, wait, what am I doing? Like, I'm going to live in, a, in an academic office fighting for tenure my whole life. I'm going to write articles and three people will read them. This is crazy. So I dropped out and then became an investigative journalist. So I apply anthropological techniques to the work that I do. Uh, and then, you know, I went to India. I, I spent another three years there in Chennai and sort of traveled around the north um, quite a bit uh, and wrote lots and lots of articles and books uh, while I was there. Well, because you're at the top of, you know, you're, you are who you are because of all of this experience. If you didn't have all these articles, you think you wouldn't have been chosen for that. You wouldn't have been commissioned for this article. You wouldn't have gotten, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have gone on to me when you wouldn't have done this. You so it's all, so, so it's what are you related, man? Mm-hmm. So yeah. What, what are you moving on to now then? Well, I just finished a book about, uh, oh, the, so I, I'm, no, I finished the next one. Right. Well, I mean, we're, it, 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 the manuscripts in its sort of final stages. I'll, I'll probably actually finish it in October or something like that. But uh, the draft exists, right? And it's okay. it's about a totally different thing. I mean, the, the themes are still there, but it's about the deadliest storm in human history that hit Bangla- what is now Bangladesh in 1970 and killed a half a million people. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's this is a known event, but most people have forgotten about it. It happened 50 years ago in 1970. Uh, and then that that storm didn't only land on the coastline of what what was then east pakistan what is now bangladesh it started a uh, it turned the results of an election which instigated a genocide from the ruling party that wanted to stay in power which then um created a refu- wave of refugees which then uh uh started a war between india and, and pakistan and Holy and because moment. there was a war because there was a war between India and Pakistan, the U.S. and the USSR got involved because those are Cold War powers, and the Soviets were a uh, were an Indian ally, and the U.S. was a Pakistani ally. So America got involved on the side on the side of the people doing genocide, and the Soviets got on the side of the good people, and then this almost sparked a nuclear war between the two of them, where where there's a standoff between the enterprise, which is not the not Picard, but was actually <laughs> the um, the, 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 the aircraft carrier uh, had a standoff with Soviet subs in the Bay of Bengal. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to tell the story through the, 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 the perspective of the people on the ground, like the, 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 the cyclone survivor who then endured the genocide and picked up arms to go fight on this. And, and, but the big picture is, look, we're all part of this huge system and things like storms can change the way the world works, right? Mm-hmm. And, can, and, and so environmental events are also human events, they're also cultural events. And the allegory here is that we're living in, a, in an environment that is heating, that is gonna have more and more storms. And every time we have these environmental changes, we're risking things that we're not even thinking about. 
So it's an allegory for climate change. Ah, okay. Oh, I get it. So, oh, geez. Well, how how did you come up with that? Why why did you pick up who? The storm in Bangladesh 50 years ago is not something that's, uh, who's the inspiration? That people for think about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I work with a writing partner in, uh, in Norway, a guy named Jason Meiklin, who we have done a lot of stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we actually, he got held up with me with the child soldiers in, in India in 20, uh, 2009, I think. Okay. And, uh, and you know, we, we we used to write a lot of articles together. And now we decided to do a book, so it sort of comes out of the genesis of us talking about it, and and wanting, you know, also realizing that you know, climate change is a thing that's happening. I know that one of the, the, the main criticism of what doesn't kill us. This is really funny. If you go on Amazon, all of my one star reviews are. I have one sentence at the end saying, you know, the world's getting hotter. <laughs> you know, basically. Uh, and, and all of my the people who attack me, like, it's not getting hard. <laughs> I got a lot of that. But the, the thing is, like, climate change is real. Science is real. You got to pay attention to the data. And okay. and the problem is that no one's been able to tell a climate change story that's engaging, right? Like, right, like no right, one. Right. Like, there's never been a book. I mean, there's been um, inconvenient truth, and there was that like day after tomorrow, the, the, the tidal wave nuking Manhattan and that stuff. But no one's told like a real life climate change story that was engaging. Maybe I, yeah, maybe there was a book called Isaac Storm that was okay uh, at one point. But Uh, I wanted to- I read that one, yeah. But but that wasn't really about climate change, that was also about a storm, but- but, Galveston. Yeah, exactly. They they, they, they said, it's funny, they said that was the deadliest storm in history. 5,000 people died. Deadliest storm in history of 1970, where half a million people died. Yeah, but they weren't Americans, man. True. And I guess you can do the math and say one American is worth 100 um, Bengalis, which I'm sure someone has said, yeah, that probably checks out. So... But when, but when I'm writing a song, for example, when I, I, I write a demo and I might play it live and I see the reaction, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're, when you're, you, write, you, know, you spend probably a year on this book, I don't know how long, and then launch it and you find out later. I mean, do you not, because a lot of people now are writing books, they write them as blog posts and you can, and they just put them together as chapters afterwards. So mm-hmm. you can see which it worked, it's successful. So, but with the way you're doing it now, it's quite, you know, you just, you just mm-hmm. launched this huge thing. I mean, do you, did you test it out before or? Uh, I mean, the wedge came out at the exact wrong time in human history, right? So it, it, it launched on <laughs> April 14th, and that was the week that, that the United States went into quarantine for COVID. And Good time to read everyone, a book, I mean. Well, it's a good time to read a book, but also our idea about what stress is changed, mm. right? The principles are all right in the wedge, but I would have probably written it a little bit differently for the COVID world, because now what we feel is that we're stuck in our little boxes. Second edition. Yeah, right. <laughs> Could rewrite it. Uh, and, and, and we feel stress in, in, in sort of different ways than we did six months ago. Uh, so I think that I probably would have written it a little bit differently had I known, had I been able to correctly predict the global pandemic. But, mm. um, you know, it's the world we live in. Yeah, no, that's what I mean by you have this such a long launch for a... Mm-hmm. For a book. So do you get people pitching you ideas for books all the time? I mean, they say, hey, I got a good idea for you. Oh, yeah, I don't pay attention to them. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, people say you have to do this. I get that email a lot. You have to look into electromagnetism and 5G and like all sorts of shit. And, uh, and no, I do my own. I do okay. my own stories. I, uh, uh, the, and, 
I don't know what the next one is. I'm probably getting out of the biohacking space after this is my guess. Like I may do like sort of one-off chapters, like 20 page books in the future on sort of the, the on wedge topics, but I'm probably going to go into some a different direction um, just because there's so much to write about. Right. Mm. And I don't want to just be, you know, my roots are, or you know, I wrote on organ trafficking, hardcore investigative journalism. I wrote a book on enlightenment and then I wrote, I'm just happen to be known for biohacking, but I, I, I encompass whatever interests me. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same with, you know, when you, when you're, when you're a musician, you have to write the people, you know, if you do all ballads, that's people want to keep listening to that. That's what they want to hear. You know, and if you're Stephen mm -hmm. King, you don't, they don't, they, you don't want a comedy, you know? So don't you feel right. pressure to just keep in that genre and keep churning it mm -hmm. out? Not really. Um, I mean, you know, there's always some sort of pressure, but I, I basically have gotten to the point in my career that I just want to do what I want to do and uh, and to hell with it. Like, I don't have the aspirations to be like a mega millionaire. That's the problem. Like, I don't I don't I don't need to build the I don't need to build a supplement empire. Right? That's what that's what people do in this genre. Um, yeah, I, every, I just need, <laughs> everyone's sell. Have you got magnesium for sale at the end? Should I where can people buy your magnesium, Scott? Yeah, exactly. No, I don't. Unfortunately, just buy my books. And uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of like... So, so you're a bit distasteful of the whole uh, biohacking. You're a little bit... Are you tired? Uh, of it? I think the... No, I mean, there's brilliant people in there. I mean, there's brilliant people who sell magnesium pills. Like, I'm not necessarily going against all of that. But I do think that there's like... Like, people want shortcuts. And my feeling is, no, we want experiences. Like it, it's, it's not about optimizing, right? I don't give a fuck about optimizing. I care about living a life that I want to live. Mm -hmm. And, and that's very different. Like, you know, if, if, if one thing I write about on the wedge is like, you know, you can go out there and you can exercise, you, you can look at yourself and like, I'm overweight and I want to like, I want to get a six pack, man. I want to go out there. I want to look awesome. And, and, and the goal then is about aesthetics and not feeling. Now, of course, sometimes if you look really good, you might feel really good, but I don't want a six pack so that I'm working for my six pack, mm. right? I want my abdominal muscles to work for me, right? I, wanna, I, I don't want to like hike up a mountain so I get super fit. I want to hike up a mountain because hiking a mountain is awesome. And that's, mm. the, that's the difference with, you know, mm. like I'm not necessarily, I'm on the journey. I'm not trying to get to a goal. But you had Dave Asprey write the 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 forward to your book, and he's mm -hmm. very you know I lengthening my life as long as possible. This life has yep. to be as long. I mean, you don't right. quite, you yeah, don't quite accord with that. I mean, I don't mind. You know, if he wants to do what he wants to do, he's welcome. And just like anyone, like I don't have the answer, right? I don't. I'm just some fucking dude, right? Yeah. I, you know what what may work for so if Dave wants to like I want to live forever. I mean, I think that's crazy in a way. Like, yeah. I would never want to live forever. <laughs> like, you know, and when, when we had that conversation, you know, I, so I was on Bulletproof Radio like a year ago or something. And Dave's like, Scott, how long do you want to live? And because he wanted me to like give a number. Like, I'm going to live to 180, man. And, I, and, 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 he, and he had a number. I don't know what he wanted to reach. And, I, and, and he asked me how long I wanted to live. And I was like, I don't know. I could die tomorrow. I've lived a great life so far. Like, hmm. the, the point, like, I don't want to, extend forever mm. i want to have have this concentrated point of my consciousness be meaningful to me and the absolute length is irrelevant um, that's why that's why it, i wanted to go back go back to that thing you said before because i kind of want to pick you up on that because what you said to me doesn't really chime 
you're kind, to me, you're kind of in the middle of these camps. You're in the middle of this. You're not going over to the spiritualist, but you're not, you know, you realize mm-hmm. the physical shell is just a vehicle mm-hmm. to get you through here. But, you know, when I'm speaking to this, this lady who studied all these reincarnatory experiences and also mediums who've, who can channel people from the other realms, and they all say, when you get there, you know, the only thing you, 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 people that they regret is how they treated other people here. And it's all about, you know, the love you give. And, you know, it's not about mm-hmm. your bank account or how long you lived. It's how you, you, you treated other people. So, you know, having that information that that's what's important really is kind of key. You know, it's like not mm-hmm. to be discounted and say, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't believe if the Islams are right or the Jews are right. But knowing what happens mm-hmm. after the, this is quite important, I think. Why? Because why can't you be nice to other people just for right now? Like, why is that even relevant? Like, why not be nice to people because it's good to be nice to other people without the reward of what they regret later? I don't live my life to die. I live my life to live. I, I, don't, I don't think that it's interesting at all to be like, well, on my deathbed, it's all, I, 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 if I'm happy when I die, life was worth living. I think that's a ridiculous idea that a lot of people have, right? It's like yeah. you get to the end and then you were living for that last moment. If your last moment was positive, then you know, Buddhism, you'll have a favorable rebirth or these mediums, maybe they have some other idea. I think that you know, life is not about death. Life is about living right now. And I promise you, I've seen people die. I've seen, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in a variety of ways. And I promise you that life ends in a minor key. It is, if life is a song, it, it ends in minor. And when you get there, it's going to suck. And there's nothing you can do about but that's not, it. Right? No, that's not what they say. People who say, people who've come back from the life, from the, say it was the best experience ever. It was the major key with even a sharp. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. was the best, and they don't want to come back. And it's a fantastic experience. And, you know, knowing what, knowing that is that, the way you know you're not going to run a multi-million dollar business selling supplements but you're going to you know help put all your all every penny you make into that orphanage or into that uh you know and you making other people's life you know you make it the center point of your life that's what i was more what i was saying well maybe uh, you know I, again these people i'm talking about death you're talking about after death. And I don't know if, if we can know anything about after death. I'm, death is going to suck. I don't know. When you get that threshold is going to suck. And then, and then but after that's that like threshold- That's like saying that's the ice bath. That's the ice bath. I mean- Well, yeah, but how do you know? But I, I can get out of an ice bath and, and come back and tell you what it's about. Well, I do not believe- done it. <laughs> I, I don't believe it though. I, I don't think they're credible in a way that scientifically says, okay, this is true. I think that there are multiple explanations for that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But right. I can put I can put a man exactly. in pri- I can put a man in prison for the rest of his life with one witness, uh-huh. you know. Okay. But if and I've got two and a half thousand witnesses from the, about near death experiences or however many hundreds of thousands, you know. Okay. Uh, why is there? Why is there? There's, um, there's, why there's is it not credible? There's hundreds of thousands of people who believe in PizzaGate, right? There's hundreds of thousands of people who believe in things that are not real. There's hundreds of thousands of people who believe that hydroxychloroquine will cure COVID. Just because people, there's hundreds of thousands of people who believe in Christianity, Islam, and and uh, cold fusion. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that 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 it's that. I mean, it could. You know, some of those things are definitely bullshit. I, I, I am agnostic. What's PizzaGate? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't want to know. Don't, don't go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. Right. But, but, you know, people want faith. 
people want mm. to believe in something. I think that's beautiful. It's great to believe in something, but it's not fact. Just because 2000 people say something does not mean it's fact. I mean, there's like what, like 60% of America, you know, America believed in Trump at one point. Like that does not believe they're, does not mean they're right. Um, you know, a lot of people believed in the Nazis does not mean that they are right. Just yeah. because we have ideology does not mean that it is. It, yeah, it but is. I never met the Nazis. I don't know. I've never seen it. I've never seen any Nazis, but I believe they exist because I've heard many different stories about them and they all have many correlatory points, you know. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. It's not to say that, that evidence does not exist in this world, but you cannot show me hard evidence for an afterlife. It doesn't exist. There's no hard evidence. All you have are anecdotes, right? I have certainly taken mushrooms. Yeah. Right. Sure. You have people's testimony. Does yeah. not mean it. That does not mean it's right. Because here's another explanation. As you die, your brain begins to shut down. As your brain begins to shut down, your sensory experiences change. As your sensory experiences change, you release the chemical DMT into your brain, which is a has a hallucinatory effect. Then you were, weren't actually dead because you came back. Right. Then you come back and you remember those sensory experiences. And then because you, people have been talking about NDEs for. 70 years or what or longer right then they th then you have these pre-existing ideas of what an nda might, might look like you apply it to those sensory experiences you come up with a story that then begins to come together here's a very valid alternate explanation for what that all means Does but people that mean come back people come back like 15 hours later you know they're in the they've got rigor mortis you know i mean then they've got much more than lights they've seen you know they have whole stories you know and they've got they've gotten uh, facts that they couldn't know about from uh, from other uh, other sources, so it, it's more it's much more than uh, you know. I saw a tunnel, and I saw I saw some colors. So maybe I mean again, I'm agnostic, but I do not think we have the answer there. Like you're, 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 you can you can keep on saying there's evidence, and then we'll look at the evidence, and and then we'll say, well, does the will it it a hundred percent add up to definitely afterlife if so why is this why is there not a scientific consensus around it you know it's because the evidence gathered leaves questions right it's not a physical law it's not measurable it's testimony and testimony uh you know 500 years ago we were debating uh the number of angels that could could fit on the head of a pin well you know, with five, you know, we were talking about witches and we were talking about all sorts of stuff. We have an ideology right now. It does not mean ideology is accurate. Uh, and, and there is testimony of seeing angels and there's testimony of all this stuff. And the, and the other thing you said, like, you know, you can build an orphanage and that will be good, right? And, and, and you're going to do yeah. good in this life. How can we always know that our actions are good? Right? This, my first book on organ trafficking was all about how good intentions go horribly wrong and i would find people who i would find people in the organ trafficking business who will literally kidnap people and steal their freaking kidneys and they will and i'll be like why are you doing this and i'm like you have no idea how many lives i'm saving because they're talking about the kidneys the people who receive the kidneys and i'm looking at the harm they've done i looked at orphanages in india where people where, where these people these ostensibly very good people had an orphanage with 180 children in it. And they're like, I am feeding all of these children. I'm, I'm taking care of these orphans. That sounds good. But how were they supplying the money for the orphanage? Well, the only way the orphanage made money was 
um, was through international adoptions. They needed to sell kids to the International Adoption Committee, which they would get $14,000 per child. And they realized that their own stock of children, orphanages make people, kids sick, right? They make kids disabled. They, 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 they do not give enough stimulus. The kids aren't, they're more sick. They're just not as great products to sell on the international stage. So what these orphanages would do, they would kidnap children from the streets, sell them them fresh to American families. And I would then I tracked a kid down who was kidnapped from that orphanage from, from I, I found I met the parents in India, found the orphanage, flew to America where an American family paid fifty thousand dollars for their kid who's now growing up in the States, who was kidnapped. And and good intentions can go horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And just because you think you're doing good does not mean you understand all of the, the chains of causes and effects. That, that occur. So I am, you know, how you treat people, sure, but how do you know how you're treating people? Mm -hmm. How do you know really what is operating in this world? And I, I would, as a, as a member of the American, uh, you know, consumer elite, right, I buy shit all the time. My sneakers were undoubtedly made by a 13-year-old mm -hmm. in, 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 in Zimbabwe or something like that. You know, undoubtedly, we are all morally compromised because we're all connected to this big superorganism. And the idea that you can be better than other humans is a fallacy is i mean it's just it's just wrong because we're all interconnected because you and i don't exist right you and i aren't the the shell that we think we are we're actually part of the whole so that's my answer <laughs> yeah but i still think you know if dave asprey started running an orphanage you do a better job than that guy you uh, you saw doing it in india but um Maybe. i think it's more it's more int intention you know if you that's you know karma you, you get judged on your intentions, on your pure of heart. If you genuinely know that it, you're doing bad, then you, you, in the end of it, you judge yourself. Did Hitler know he was doing bad? Uh, yes, definitely. I don't think so. I think he really, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know the guy, but I think he thought he was doing the best thing for the world. I think he thought that he was going to make the Third Reich and this was going to be the best way for humanity to go forward. I think he, he really thought the Jews were evil, right? And so you got rid of this evil in the world, and then you'd be, I think that Hitler thought he was a good person because I think everyone thinks they're a good person. I don't think any, I mean, there's probably gonna be an outlier, right? Mm -hmm. There's probably gonna be Jeffrey Dahmer, right? Who's like, yeah, I eat kids because I wanna do bad. And there's also the Kanaima shamans of, of South America, these people who worship murder, right? And okay, so there, there are these people who believe they're bad people, but that's a very small subset. Most people have a rationality for why they are good people. Yeah, if you're crazy, uh, and, that's absolved. Yeah. Sure. Well, even some non-crazy people can be like that. But, but I think, the, again, these are outliers. But I do think that we, um, you know, I've met mob bosses in India who talked about how they, 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 they would shoot people in the head, right? And they, but they were doing it to solve a very real social problem in that in, in the country, in Bangalore, because they, there were these legal disputes where justice was not being applied, so they had to go do the killing. So they have a rationality where they could commit murder, and they thought they were great, and they made a lot of money, so obviously God looks down on them positively. Like, I don't think intention, I think it's way too um, solipsistic. Like, I think I'm doing well, Right, but you know, uh, Marie Antoinette let them eat cake. Like, does not get the actual situation that's going on out there. And we are all deluded if we think that we are doing, doing. I and mean, we can try to do good, 
Now you can try to be a positive force in the world, but you can't know you're doing good. Okay. Okay. Well, I still, I still think you're somewhere in the middle there, but uh, I know you're, um, okay. Sure. Because, um, maybe I'll just, I'll just pitch because when I was, I was in Chennai recently and mm -hmm. when I was there, I had sort of a, a spiritual experience and, um, I got, um, I got in touch with it. I found a teacher online mm -hmm. and he was in uh, Miami and he, um, he was doing, um, um, basically what Wim Hof does or Pranayama. So mm -hmm. Wim has, what you do is you're doing basically one type of yoga activity, this, this one sure. Pranayama, um, mm -hmm. and you develop these, these superpowers. You, you're on the over your control of your physical, you know, like Wim can control his immune system and um, right. so right. with a, with a breathing technique. And so he's been doing breathing techniques for since he was three years old, you know, and he mm -hmm. has got control over the, the prana in his body. And I'm sure when you were in India, you, you, you met many teachers or you heard of many teachers who had could do pretty impressive things just by, you know, by control, by controlling their their prana um and so this guy um Nehemiah davis he lives in miami but he grew up in the bahamas and he was doing these this pranayama you know all these different types from since he was three years old and he he grew to develop these powers and you know he could um you know he could he could change the weather um he heal you know because he can send he was sitting on for example one day he was sitting on the porch outside his house and um this is an anecdote. This is a secondhand anecdote. So feel free to, to not take it on. But, um, so he, he felt this, uh, he felt this dot going up and down his back. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, just like a, like a, like a small pressure of heat. And, uh, he turned around and his brother was, um, holding out one hand, one palm and having the other one in a ceiling mudra. And he was sending out a beam of energy from his hand up and down his brother's back. And, so just for, and so just an example of the the way that like you can send energy from your body to someone else's body through these um so this is what I wanted to pitch to you as possibly another article for you or something because it's kind of following on from with these breathing techniques that you can and also incredible concentration you know if you control the the prana in your body you can you can manipulate things in the outside and send out your energy um do you have any experience? Maybe. I mean, uh, uh, well, I mean, again, I don't think that I am me and I don't think you are you. So the idea that energy could transfer between two people is not at all shocking, mm -hmm. right? For instance, I'm transferring energy to you now by just talking to you, right? Where I'm, I'm sending something that is a, an idea from myself to you over virtual wires, right? And that is likely changing some sort of neural pathways in your brain, whether or not they're good or bad, I don't know, but neural pathways are changing because you're recording this information. So clearly I am sending energy. And uh, do I think that somebody can send a beam of energy? Uh, I mean, uh, offhand, no, but uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily impossible because I think energy is energy. I think consciousness is a type of energy. I think it's a fundamental force in the universe. And to think that it could be manipulated and changed is obvious because we see it happening all the time, again, in the way I speak, changing your physiology. Do I, do I think it operates as a graviton beam? Not particularly. Um, I mean, 
I mean, to say that it couldn't happen because gra so gravitation wave, gra gravitational waves do exist. Um, did they exist because they were initiated from consciousness? I know that's a good question. I don't know. Is a star conscious? Maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah. Do I think that this, this guy is doing that thing? I think it's an anecdote. And until I do it myself, I mean, you, you even said it was a secondhand anecdote, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I have felt weird things in my life. I have seen things that are unexplained. Uh, does that mean it has to be an invisible energy force that, 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 that then has a whole ideology behind it? I don't know. Not necessarily. That's, that's adding more of my own subjective ridiculousness. And my feeling with a lot of these gurus is that they're all crazy. I, I feel like a lot of these people who are out there, you know, I've, I've met tons of gurus. Mm -hmm. I've met tons of, uh, of them that are like really spiritually interesting people. But I've met also tons who are so isolated that once you say you're enlightened, okay, mm -hmm. I'm enlightened. That is, means you have arrived at some state the perfect knowledge in some way, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And that, and and then, when you get two of these guys in the room, do they agree on everything? Like, oh yeah, yeah, sending graviton beams. Oh yeah, I send graviton beams all the time. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's talk to Jesus. Hey, you you into graviton beams? And they all agree. No, they don't, man. They they totally have totally disparate ideas of what's going on out there. And 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 once you become your, your only peer, that means mm -hmm. you only have your own ego defining what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And this is what makes people crazy. This is why my student committed suicide in, uh, in Bodh Gaya like 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's because she thought she was enlightened. All she had to do was, and there's, that's a sensation for her, right? She thought, you know, you're meditating, you get to these, this insight and you're like, oh, I want to stop this right now because I'm enlightened. And uh, she killed herself. That she had the best intentions. Enlightenment right, is a good uh, yeah. intention. But then she killed herself, which is not. A good result and and i think that you know with, with the, the book the enlightenment trap i follow this other guy this guy named michael roach who was said to be able to do all these siddhis or siddhis the miracle siddhis, yeah, um, yeah. superpowers uh and you know siddhis are um one he doesn't do them publicly in a way that's right. verifiable uh -huh. you know and two when he does show it to them it could it well be a magic trick yeah. right mm -hmm. you know for instance Sai, Satya Sai Baba in India, well, very well-known guy who's very well-known for doing performing miracles, uh, bans anyone who knows um, magic, as in like the illusionary magic of David Copperfield. Uh, he bans anyone like that coming to his, his events. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the sleight of hand can make you make uh, hundreds of eyewitnesses believe in something, mm -hmm. even if it's not real. And then he will say to himself, let's say he is faking, He'll say, yes, but I need to give them belief. The belief was the outcome so that my lying was actually a good thing. This is what they call, um, oh, what's the word for it? It's in the alignment trap. It's, it's basically allows you to lie in order to get the higher result that you're okay. giving. Skillful means. That's what's called. Skillful means. This is in Tibetan Buddhism and, and also Vipassana. If I use skillful means to manipulate them to find enlightenment, then I can do whatever the hell I want. Well, this lets you do all sorts of other things, including murder, including, um, you know, all these negative things that you're like, well, that guy's not enlightened, but he'll believe he has arrived. So this is why I think enlightenment, anyone who says they're enlightened, whatever says they have achieved that final state is insane and definitely not on the path. I think that we have to be always sure. you wouldn't on say the that. journey, but you never get. No, you need to be on the journey. You can't even think to yourself, I've arrived. Um, you, 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 you need to be on the journey because the moment you arrive is the moment you're definitely not there. So anyone outside there advertising themselves as 
as being aligned is not because you don't you don't tell anyone if you no. you don't even if you think it to yourself even yeah. if you're avalokiteshvara even if you're manjushri even if you are the dalai lama mm. if you think it, you're you've arrived to that point you have not arrived to that point that is the nature of that it's sort of like a like a singularity it's like an asymptote if you ever you know you can always approach the line you can get closer and closer and closer and closer if you hit it you have hit a a contradiction space time in the universe and you're definitely insane and so you can't even think to yourself i am enlightened if you ever let yourself think you've gotten to that point that is when you've crossed over into insanity it's interesting because the way i've i've learned it from my metaphysical studies is that there's kundalini yeah and you rise it up and as you open each chakra you get the siddhis so mm -hmm. like the siddhis you were talking about you get the clairvoyancy you get the um yeah sure you get all these cities and where you get these powers but <clears throat> when you raise it all the way up you have you have a lot of cities and if you if you misuse them you you know you you can bring great harm to the world you know so <clears throat> the first chakra you awaken when you raise kundalini is the sex chakra and it gets incredibly stimulated so that's mm -hmm. why a lot of these people become perverts or if mm -hmm. they have any, they become incredibly sexually, because it's, it's mm -hmm. a test, you know? If you can control your mind and your sexuality, then okay, Kundalini can go up to the next one. But if not, then it flows, all the energy flows out of there and you do, you might do terrible things or you just might do, you just be a dick. So, you know, the, and, and as you go up through each Kundalini even higher, that's why some people fall off, you know? Uh, because they're being tested each time this this kundalini goes up have you have you any experience of that from india or from your, your studies oh sure i mean look at dolpopa or sorry not dolpopa um what's his name uh, drukpa kunle mm -hmm. right drukpa kunle is a is a is a like 13th century um bhutanese saint you should look him up on the internet google drukpa, drukpa kunle iconography bhutan and you will see um so have you i don't know if you've ever been to bhutan i snuck over the border once and to about 2011, I think. Mm -hmm. No, earlier, 20, 20, 2007, like, I snuck across the border and just hung out in Bhutan for a little bit because it's really expensive if you don't sneak. And uh, all of the walls in, in, in Bhutan have, have a, a, the, the picture of Drukpa Kunle painted on there. Drukpa Kunle's picture is not his face. It is an erect phallus, hairy balls, spitting spooge. Now, uh, Sorry? <laughs> oh yeah, Google it. Google it, Drukpa Kunle. <laughs> and is that why it's so expensive to get in? No, uh, it is not. It's because this 13th century a saint, he was the progenitor of what they call crazy wisdom. And he was this monk who went around fucking all the nuns, telling all of the kings that he was enlightened and everyone believed him. And then he, uh, he may have committed some murders to him. Mean, he was like a crazy guy, but, but he did it because it was skillful means to tell you that he was really the, the he had these powers. And, and so all of Bhutan is following this crazy wisdom thing of Drukpa Kunle. Look him up, he is nuts. And then people will still tell you, no, 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 he was enlightened. Forget his actions. His actions were just skillfully teaching us that those, those actions are a power path to enlightenment. And so there's a, there's a rationalization showing that this guy was okay, but he was crazy and he was, should not, he's not, he's not the epitome of humanity. And he, mm. he's sort of like what you're talking about. I don't know about that process of opening up chakras and becoming more and more enlightened. It seems to me that the problem with these, these types of Hindu traditions, Hindu oriented generated traditions and, and Buddhism is actually 
comes out of Hinduism, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's like leveling up. It's like, it's like, okay, you got this level. Now you want the next secret, um, secret spell, secret power. Now you have to go do these techniques. And, and, and it's, like, it's like playing Dungeons and Dragons or a video game. It's like you do these quests, and then you get these, these things, and then you get to some sort of like ultimate level. I think that is like really human and really attractive to want that stuff. But I think it's, it's all a, um, it, it's all an illusion. It's all this, 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 it's just offering you powers, things making you better than it. it's all egocentric. It's ridiculous, and I think that anyone who's trying to get a Sydney is um, is is really making an error. Uh, because sure, what sure, does it sure. matter? You no, know, no. like it's a byproduct that you ha you have to deny each one, not use it, so that you go to the next one and not use that one, and that you know you're not supposed to. Yeah, but it's still it's still a bait and switch. It's telling you, hey, you you made it. Hey, dude, wink, wink. Hey. You made it to city three. Now you can do the city three thing. <laughs> you know, who cares? Like, like, it's still like you're telling yourself you're moving, you're progressing. Yeah. And even, even if these things exist, right? I don't. I'm, yeah, but I'm, you, I'm you wrote a book. You wrote a book about how you can do, you know, all the things you did in climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. So mm -hmm. you, you know, you uh, had cities. Of a, of a kind and you know you I do. think there are evolutionary powers that we all have because we have physical bodies mm -hmm. and it's not to say that that other people in the world don't have physical bodies have not noticed that they they could do things right mm -hmm. but but I think the explanation is is about creating hierarchies mm -hmm. I think it's about creating um, uh, you know the these these human institutions more than it is um, what our biology is capable of because we're all capable of this stuff and you can just go do it You don't need to go study at the feet of a guru to do it You don't need to go meet the great Wim Hof who's not that great Wim's Wim's a cool guy. He opened the door to this this Awesome stuff that we can all do, but we should never put him on a pedestal. I would never want to be Wim Hof. Dude's fucking nuts, man. He almost <laughs> killed me on the top of Kilimanjaro. I love the man, but I love his his errors too. Like I love yeah. the fact that he he is crazy and that that he is not the role model of the future. Uh, you know, I, I am not his disciple, and nor should anybody be his disciple. He is just a guy who has a really cool thing. He showed us how to do stuff, and now you can too. Mm -hmm. Th then that's it. There's there's nothing more. There's not like he's got this uh, extra secret. Hey, Wim, tell me your next secret. You know it. I know you're enlightened. No, he's <laughs> not. He's not fucking enlightened. Okay, no, that's it. All right. Well, let's try and let's try and bring this around then. To uh, I've got to go. I've got to get write the song now. So um, okay. I think we we, drift, we drifted way out there with what I'm interested in, what you're interested, and in, where we you know, I think we uh, we had a great chat anyway. So um, so what I'm silly seeing is these this this um these two opposites of the uh, the, the 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 parasympathetic and the sympathetic and this um being the wedge and being present in these stresses is mm -hmm. is the way to to control the because i either guess before was um stephen c hayes who's a psychiatrist and he has all these techniques for for watching the mind you know like uh mm -hmm. pretend your mind's a bus you know and you and all the thoughts are passengers or, or mm -hmm. write down all your thoughts and um, sure. so mm -hmm. so watch the mind um and so you're saying you're saying pretty much the same thing i think yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's very, very similar. You know, my, the way I phrase it is that every sensation is a choice. 
right? Every time you feel something, the only reason you can feel it is so that you can make a choice from how your body responds. For instance, right now you're experiencing lots of physical things that you can't do sense. And you like, like, I don't know if right now you can feel the, your blood circulating. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but if you really paid attention, you might be able to, or, or your hair growing, like there's no choice yeah, yeah. there. There's no reason to, you know, you can't feel the, the hundreds of millions of cosmic rays that are going through you because they're not relevant to you. But, but if you're in the ice water, if you are uh, walking your dog, you know, you have choices. And so now you get to make choices. Consciousness is about choice and it's about bonding the mind and the body together. Okay. All right. Well, I think I've got enough to go on. And if I run out of inspiration, I can always go away and read your book, which is uh, on scottcarney.com, also on Amazon. Yep. Yeah, it's on all the places you can buy books, um, even bookstores. But yeah, uh, scottcarney.com is usually the best portal to go through and, and pick it up. Uh, and, you know, I've, I'm SG Carney on all of the social medias. Okay. Uh, there's mailing lists. There's all the stuff that you might want. Um, you can get a free chapter on my website. So that's sort of cool. And you're on Audible, Audible as well? Is it actually here you yeah. reading it? That's me reading it. If you like the dulcet sounds of my voice, it's on Audible. <laughs> Well, I'll have you on tonight if I can't, if, if I run out, if I can't get inspiration by midnight, I'm, I'm turning you on. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much. No, it was my pleasure. Really. I, uh, you know, cause I'm living here in the South of Italy and, um, I don't have much great conversation like you do in Denver. So I'm really <laughs> appreciate you taking the time to reach out as well. We're all stuck in our little bubbles right now. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and send me the, the links. Okay, thank you, Scott. Bye-bye. All right, bye. There's a wedge we drive Into our minds to thrive we wither in this world or we evolve What is truth? What's belief? What is hiding underneath In the lie-infested world in which we crawl?
Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show and the song. If you want to hear the song again, it's available on all music streaming services or for a $1 download from podsongs.com. You can also subscribe there for our newsletter for all other news and updates. A big thanks to our musical production team here in Italy, Maurizio Sanicola, Massimino Vozza and Luigi Falcione and my researcher, Dori Verbo. Please help us by sending this episode to your friends, sharing it on social media, and reviewing it wherever you can. I also have another show to listen to. It's called The Mystic Cast, and it's about spirituality, UFOs, mysticism, the occult, and the Ethereum Society, the teachings of which led me to start this project, serving the service, helping those who help others. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great day.